Patriots Monday and Friday. 93.7 WEI-FM and HD1, Lawrence, Boston. We're always live on the free Odyssey app. Uh, I mean, I just liked our, our poise and our perspective. I thought uh, even um, the, the first quarter, a lot of the stuff they hit, we were willing to at least withstand for a little while. Um, some of them I thought were just tough shots. Some of them were according to the game plan. And uh, it was just a matter of just keeping our perspective. And uh, we did a great job of just staying with it. And uh, I thought we did it, took it to another level, two 25-point quarters in the second and the third. And, um, you know, I thought we were playing their pace for a portion of the game. And then I thought we kind of turned it into to our style of basketball, and I think that's where it turned. Final hour of KJ and Lions in for Rich Keefe here on WEEI. Good Friday to you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. May your shopping go quickly or be just lights out the way the Celtics were against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, that was such an impressive win, John, because I have this belief that some of the role players sometimes tighten up when they see the jersey across from them, and I think that happened a bit in the Warriors game. And then when they're playing against the Kings, who are an upstart team and on the rise, you almost feel like Peyton Pritchard, you're like, I belong out of here. I belong, you know, those other guys, they belong out there. So uh, hats off to having those guys prepared, especially after what happened with Golden State, because even though Golden State, I think, are now in the twilights of their years, I think they still get their rocks, if you will, of putting a thorn in the Celtics narrative. Yeah, I think it was an important win for a couple of reasons because they come off that homestand where they win five in a row, and right. that was actually the first time they swept a homestand of five or more games since 2016. So it's kind of a big deal, right? They went all five at home, first time since 2016. They've done that, and then they dropped the game to Golden State, a game that they were up by 13 yeah. in the first, fourth quarter, right? You're winning, you're playing well, and it's like that, like you said, that jersey across from you, they lose to Golden State. And remember, last year, right around this time, Yep. They lost, I think it might have been a Saturday night game, a Saturday night to game, Golden yep. State, and then they kind of stumbled for a couple weeks. So they responded right away against a really good Sacramento Kings team and blew their doors off. And by the way, that Jalen Brown dunk might have been my favorite moment of the entire season so far. But I think that it was important for that because they didn't let the Golden State loss derail them because Jason Tatum said after the homestand, after their second win against Orlando, hey, I don't know if last year's team would have won all these games at home. Right. I agree with him, and I also don't think last year's team would have played as well as they did against Sacramento the other night. With Tatum out, I don't think they would have played as well. Maybe they still would have won, but we wouldn't have felt nearly as good about it. So I thought it was a great win for both of those reasons. Well, last year they had a scheduled nightmare. You remember they had won that game in Toronto, then flew from Toronto to San Francisco, and then played that Saturday night. Like, Hello, logistics, can you at least get, you know, so they yeah. flew from Toronto and then went on that West Coast trip that started with Golden State as well last year. I, I like how Joe Mazzula is seeming to keep calm after what was, what, 50, 41 missed three-point attempts against Golden State, and that was a concern that I had with the Celtics uh, as that game progressed, that, okay, you can't try and do what they are experts at doing, right? But you can do it the next night against Sacramento, where you can just run them out the gym. This is what I was saying last year about the Celtics. Teams against like the younger upstart teams where you have better people on your team, but they're still relatively young, run them out the gym, inside, outside, show them everything you can do, make make them feel like the circus has come to town, and just absolutely just destroy them. That's what they did with Sacramento. But I think when you get, and, and this will be a real good test against the Clippers, who we thought the Clippers would be this kind of disarray, 
tomorrow. Um, this team has gotten it together, and the Clippers may be the team that comes out of the West with all this quote-unquote dysfunction. So you, you almost wonder about with tomorrow's game, can you bring the energy that you did against Golden State for everything but about four minutes of that game? Yeah, and you mentioned and, and Cal- the, right. the Clippers. Remember when they first got James Harden? What they lose their first three or four games, yeah. and now they're sitting at seventeen and eleven overall. Right. They've been on a tear since then. And look, Kawhi's Kawhi, Paul George is Paul George, but they're playing really well together. On top of that, so I think you're right. Can they bring that energy that they brought for forty eight minutes against Sacramento, or for the first forty minutes, you yeah. know, against Golden State? Can they bring that energy, not just against the Clippers, but you mentioned coming out of the West, the Lakers were in the Western Conference Finals last year, too, and you're playing them on Christmas Day. This is a this is a road trip where you have an opportunity to play against four really good teams, four playoff teams, four teams that could all, one way or another, be in the Western Conference Finals, have a path to get there. And if you can win three out of those four, like that's that's a, to me coming off that five game homestand win that is an extremely successful last couple of weeks of December and I know they have a couple more games after that still left in December. Well, you believe that the Christmas Day game with the Lakers even even last year with the Lakers having some nicked up players the game went to overtime the Celtics ended up winning it. I don't think it would be that cumbersome for the Celtics on Christmas Day, but the game that's tomorrow is the one that you I really are keeping my eyes on. Because that may be the real preview to the NBA Finals, all things the way they stand. And how would the Celtics handle a team where you've got, let's call it three and a half All Stars? I, I don't. It's not to diminish. No, I, I agree. Russell Westbrook, right, three and a half's know, fair. Yeah, right. Three and a half All Stars that can can just be absolute problems. Right. If if a Kawhi Leonard and Paul George who could play effective defense on Brown and Tatum, what does that do for others? You have size in in, in Zubac. That, that would be there in the face of Porzingis. So this is a team that nobody was talking about matching up. And we still haven't talked about, well, Harden does disappear, and Harden may have some of those. I think there's some flashes that go on with Harden that he just checks out sometimes in the middle of games if he isn't the star. We'll see if that happens Saturday. I think tomorrow is going to be a fast. That's going to be the I, – I, I'm going to put a little more vested interest from a season standpoint in watching tomorrow's game than feeling like I've got to run to the Christmas Day game where it's just like I I just don't see the Lakers having the legs or the energy really to making it towards the finals. I I don't even see them getting to probably what would be the quarterfinals in the Western Conference. And and in fact, until you just said so, I absolutely forgot that the Lakers made it to the Western Conference Finals just because their ass was going so quick. And what, Denver waited like three weeks before they played their next game? Something like that, yeah, because I think they swept, right, the Lakers? Yeah, they got swept. And one thing, like the Celtics to me, and I've said this many times, I think they're the best team in the NBA. I think they're going to win the championship. And one thing I'm really watching this year is how do they play against other championship-level teams, right? So they beat Miami early in the season. They beat Milwaukee. They lose to Golden State. And now this Clippers team, Kawhi's a multi-time champion. Ty Lue won a championship as a head coach. Like so this and it's you said it, they could come out of the West. This is a championship level team. How do they compete against that team on the road a couple days before Christmas with Porzingis and Tatum, maybe one of them not playing, maybe both not playing, depending on those sprained ankles. And then how do they follow that up? competing against a Lakers team with LeBron that was in the West Finals last year. Like, I'm really watching. That's one of the biggest things I'm watching this year, and this week is a great opportunity for that with this West Coast trip. 
Yeah, I really think that it's as strange as this sounds. It's almost as if if Porzingis is there, you feel so much better about the chance. Here's Joe Missoula on, on, on the importance of KP. Protecting the pain, uh, Porzingis, just how much of an impact did he have tonight's in Vegas? Uh, I mean, both ends. So defensively, he was great, obviously, withstanding some of uh, Sabonis' physicality. Uh, his ability to protect the paint on offensively just, um, you know, they went to the um, change in the coverage in the pick and roll, and they veered it, switched a little bit. We did a great job getting the space, giving him an opportunity to play, and uh, he made plays. Yeah, yeah, that that is, he's such the key, right? Yeah, oh, I, I, I could not agree key. more. Like, Porzingis, too, just for reference, his offensive rating, third best on the Celtics. His defensive rating, third best on the Celtics. This is a guy, too, we talked about it when they traded for him. He shot 38.5% from three last year, but he also led the NBA in points per post-up, and he was the fourth best pick-and-roll de- defender per second spectrum last year. And look, how about in that Sacramento game? What, do you have six blocks? Yeah. I mean, like, he was tremendous around. Like, this is a guy, they call him the unicorn. He really does stuff. Very few other people on the planet can do so. I agree with you. Like, I think, like, look, Tatum's the guy. Brown's the super max star with him. Derek White has been an all-star level player. But I feel different about them when Porzingis is on the floor as opposed to when he's not. Right. And so that, and that's the one thing I just keep the eye on is the managing of the foot. I think if you feel like you get into a portion of the schedule, like I guess when you do the Texas Triangle, once you get the Houston, Dallas, San Antonio trip that everybody tends to do at the same time, it might be a it might, might that might be a chance where you say you know what Porzingis is going to get two nights of those three games off. Yeah, Maybe I, I would be okay Dallas. if they put him in bubble wrap until mid May. So. Well, well, then again, that's that's how things break because you know when you don't use them, you lose. Well, them, stretch right? so, all right. So you stretch him out a couple times a day, then put him in bubble wrap the rest of the day. Well, I, I think you start to say you know like hey, there's you you gain nothing by putting up against Victor Wembayama, or it, even it, like so just just sorry to cut you off, but just to look ahead, no. they play Christmas Day in L. A. Couple days off. They play a back-to-back against Detroit and Toronto Thursday, yeah. Friday. Like, you can give Porzingis one of those two, days off. Two days off. Yeah, and then, like, you play Oklahoma City January 2nd. They're really good. Three then, days off. Right, but then you have a back-to-back against Utah and Indiana. Like, you can play give them those. the Utah game off and play the Pacers. Like, no, so, play those because the know. Utah game will give you the conditioning you're at an Oh, elevator. sure, yeah, either. Right. right. You can. So I, I'm with you. Like, I'm like almost what they do with Horford, but not yes. maybe quite to that extent. Right. Like, they give Horford every back-to-back or a bunch. Maybe give him most of them and kind of see. But, yeah, I'm taking it easy with that. And we've seen with injuries how they affect this team. I mean, Tatum sprains his ankle in Game 7 against the Heat last year. If not, you're probably in the NBA Finals, yeah. right? And and I know that's a different team per se, but even Porzingis, when he's when he was been out this year, like, they've looked okay, but it's right. not been the same. They like, look when like he's on the floor, year. I'm right. sitting there like, wow, this is the best team in the NBA. When he's not, I'm like, hey, they're really good, but there, there's a difference there. Yeah, plus shout out to Derek White, this guy. Like if this was like like best offensive and defensive rating yeah, on the if team. If this was like rec league and you had to do it like in real time, the dude is the dude is the all star. Like if there was no voter, uh, no fan voting involved, Derek White is the starting point guard for the Eastern Conference. I, I don't care what anybody says. So think <laughs> of the Celtics and how many threes they shoot. Of their top six guys, who do you think has the best three-point field goal percentage? Oh, it's Derek White. It's Derek White. Hauser yeah. actually has a little bit better, but I don't put him in their top six, obviously. So oh, that's White, he, because he had a big goose egg in what? Charlotte and then goose White, egg a couple nights ago. Of their top six main rotation players, he's got the best three-point percentage. He's averaging 16.5 points a game. He's shooting 49%. From the field, I mean, I think that's the second best on the team. Like, it's nuts. This guy's been, and I would argue last year, long stretches of last year, he was the second best player on the team. 
Sometimes oh, you know, sometimes third, but he was like in the top three all year. And now there's been nights he's been the best player on the team. KJ and Lions in for Rich Keefe here on WEEI. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas. 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. Next, the Red Sox conundrum. No Yamamoto. So where do you go to? Right now it's time to trend with Stiz. The Greg Hill Show, weekdays 6 to 10. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now on WEI and WEI.com. That's right. The Red Sox officially out of the Yamamoto hunt as it broke last night that the Japanese starter has signed with the Dodgers. 12 years, $325 million. Celtics have the night off tonight. They're back on the court tomorrow afternoon when they'll take on the Clippers in L.A. Tip-off at 3.30. Celtics have struggled on the road, and the Clippers have won their last six games at home. Bruins on the ice tonight in Winnipeg to take on the Jets. Puck drop just about 10 minutes ago at 8 o'clock right now. About 17 minutes left in the first period. Tied at zero. The Bruins have lost two games in a row and have played in four consecutive games that have ended in overtime. Winnipeg Jets have won seven of their last nine. Ty Law was on the Greg Hill Show yesterday. Would Ty Law keep Bailey Zappi if he was in charge? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that he's... uh earned earned enough to warrant that you know what I'm a, I'm a quality uh backup and then if I need to come in and win the game you know I I can do that you know I can compete Patriots continue to get ready to head to Denver to take on the Broncos kickoff Sunday night 815 Pats have ruled out Juju Smith-Schuster, Ramondre Stevenson and Jabril Peppers for Sunday's game other players listed as questionable include Christian Barmore, Jawan Bentley, Trent Brown, Hunter Henry, Anthony Jennings, Jonathan Jones, Connor McDermott, Matthew Slater, and Jelani Tavai. I'm Stiz. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. More Rich Keefe Show with KJ and Lions coming up. You can stream the show or listen on demand anytime. Just download the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Say WEEI is a favorite and listen wherever you go. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on WEEI. Tom Warner, the chairman of the team, promised that the Red Sox would go full throttle to improve the roster. What we've seen so far, like I said, some nice moves of the lesser variety. This is not full throttle. Now, signing Yamamoto, yes, that would certainly qualify as full throttle. If they don't get Yamamoto, would Blake Snell qualify? Would Jordan Montgomery qualify? I'm not so sure. They would help. They would be closer to that description. But with the Red Sox, it's put up or shut up. Because they fired Heim Bloom basically because they felt he could not take them to the next level. He could not make the kinds of bold acquisitions that need to be made. Well, here we are. Bold acquisitions still need to be made, pending Dorks of the Week, the Red Sox front office and ownership. KJ and Lions in for Rich Keefe here on WEEI 617-779-7937. Text line 37937. That's Ken Rosenthal of the Atlantic, Fox Major League Baseball, and formerly the MLB Network. Thanks, Rob Branford. On the now what seemed to be disastrous comments about going full throttle for Red Sox acquisitions, John Noyamamoto. Yeah, I mean, we talk about full throttle. Right now, KJ, the car's not even in gear, let alone full throttle. Is it I on? Mean, it's not even on. The car is not even on. We're not full throttle. We're not in gear. In fact, I, the emergency brake might still be on right now at this point. And look, here's the thing. And 
could they still have a really good offseason? Like if they bring in, and we've talked about this many times before, I feel and have felt they need to add two legit starting pitchers. Lucky for them, there's still several out there. So could they still bring in two? Yes. But will they have done the best they possibly could? The answer is probably going to be no because they didn't get Yamamoto, who is the best pitcher available on the market. But if they bring in Montgomery and Cease or Snell and Montgomery or Bieber and Snell, like some combination of that group of guys, then fine. Like I, I will be happy with what they did. But why did they miss the playoffs last year, KJ? Their starting pitching was terrible, and their defense, especially up the middle, was terrible. Have they done anything outside of Trevor Story being healthy? Have they done anything else to improve those two things? The answer is no. So right now, this is a team that is not any better than it was a year ago. And we have seen the best free agent in Otani sign somewhere else. The second best free agent in Yamamoto sign somewhere else. The best available player to be traded in Juan Soto get traded somewhere else. So could they still have a good offseason? Yes. Could they still improve their pitching staff? Yes. But... Are they any better than they were in late September right now? No, they're not. Well, even if you look back at the Trevor Story acquisition during the winter meetings a couple years ago, it was like a last-minute thing. It felt like the kid who slid in his homework right before the bell was going to ring. Like, whoa, like, I've got to come out of here with something. Like, give me a C or something like that. So I, I think it's just a, a, just this trajectory that doesn't look good. Yes, there's still opportunities to get one, but now if you're one of these other guys, Snell or Montgomery, one, your price probably now a little bit goes through the roof. 100% went up. Right? So it's it's gone up probably $5 million. So what we've talked about here on the show about these guys as potential targets previously, we were saying, like, how comfortable eventually would the fan base be of potentially giving up $60 million a year annually to two pitchers on the front line when you're just coming off of a guy who was a disaster at $25 million, right? Like the worst possible scenario that can happen is that you get these guys into long-term deals and maybe only get one or two or two, uh, maybe two or three years out of say a six-year deal. Like you don't get 50% of the deal of what the value is and what it potentially could do to the franchise. Um, I get the Yamamoto thing, but I think because of the way that Otani signed his deal, the conversation started rolling. Brother, you can get 15 years if you want to, you know, and here's how they'll work it. And 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 this is where I say the Red Sox are not going to operate that way. And I wouldn't do it. I I wouldn't just do it just because it's the thing to do. What hurts about Yamamoto though is he's twenty five. So even right. a twelve year deal for him, which he got, he's still thirty seven when it ends. He's not forty or forty one. Like you're getting his whole prime. And there's I, other guys available. Like Cease is in his mid twenties. Bieber's in his mid twenties. Like uh, Montgomery and Snell are both. I think Montgomery might be thirty and Snell's thirty one. But there's like tradable guys that are in their, th- like, mid-20s. So, like, that's why if you traded for a guy like Cease and signed Montgomery, you know at least Cease is still in his mid-20s. So you're going to get all or very close to all of that contract. Montgomery, maybe there'd be a couple of years on the back end that you don't have, but that's also partly your own failure for not developing good pitchers outside of Brian Bayo. And it's also something that as the Boston Red Sox, as we know, you can kind of afford to do if you have one guy in your rotation on the back end. The problem this year is, like, you've highlighted the sale thing. Sale would not hurt you as much if the rest of your rotation was good. The problem is, Bayo was good for most of the year. 
Other than that, and Paxton was good for a chunk of the year, they had nobody else in their rotation good for part of the year. And they really didn't have anyone, I would say, from April to the end of September that was good the entire time. Like, that's that's why sales con It hurt them because he wasn't available, but it hurt them to an extra level because it wasn't just a throwaway. Th- it, they didn't have the higher level of pitching that could sustain that. Yeah, there wasn't the insulation that Bayo still needs instead of being the guy who runs. You know, yeah. you, sometimes you just can't run out and be the lead singer. When you, the Red when Sox had 53 games with a starting pitcher through less than 80 pitches, which was the sixth most in the MLB. They threw zero complete games. They had 47 total quality starts, which was 25th in the MLB. So even as good as Bayo and Paxton were for long stretches, they weren't going deep in games right. that often. You were taxing your bullpen. Well, this has been a couple-year problem. Oh, yeah. No, I agree 100 is really the last time you could think of someone actively going six and two-thirds. Yeah, <laughs> and him and Evaldi leave. Right. And and it's not like if you had one of those guys last year, you would have been a lot – if you had both of them, I think you could have withstood – the sale issues and maybe still made the play. And I, and look, think about it. Evaldi's a really good pitcher. Erod's solid, but I would stay right now. If you bring in some combination of the guys I listed earlier, they're all better than Evaldi and Erod. They're definitely all better than Erod, and they're mostly, if not all, are better than Evaldi. But I don't think it would say now you have to possibly look at going to get two. And and I get back to the Yamamoto thing. And and I'm, maybe I'm just gonna play a bit of devil's advocate here. I see. Pieces of Tim Lincecum in him. Very small guy, high velocity on the arm. The legs don't drive as much. Now, maybe this is just warming up or what have you. But I would be very leery if there is something that looked like Tim Lincecum. Now, granted, Tim Lincecum could be a candidate for Hall of Fame after a few votes over the not first ballot, but there'll be a discussion. The guy's been a Cy Young winner. But just that that extensive velocity and the violence that comes from the arm it, it, I'm not saying this is going to happen to Yamamoto, but if you had that similar situation and then there's a 12-year deal on the guy, what do you think the fan base is going to be saying? You shouldn't have spent the 12, million, the 12 years on the guy and everything. So if the Red Sox felt that way and saying, you know, that's just too deep of a commitment that we want to make and something that we could see as a potential problem down the, down the line, okay, get it. Because I think the Yamamoto signing was more in the feelings thing. I never thought he was going to be a Red Sox unless Otani was here, right? Didn't, I never felt they were going to get him either. I didn't think they were going to get him because I thought all, everything was going to be predicated on Otani, and I was right. Just on, I was just on the wrong coast. Yeah, what, <laughs> what frustrates me, though, and I agree. I, I never really in my heart were like, I think they're going to get Yamamoto. No, I would have loved it, but I never thought they were going to get him. But what frustrates me is it feels like they were really not even in the neighborhood. Right, like you talk about the Yankees, he took second meetings in New York with the Yankees and Mets, and then got on a plane and went back to the West Coast. Right, he didn't jump jump over to Boston, right? Or you know, hey, the Yankees and Mets were both at three hundred million or around there, and the Dodgers were at three twenty five, and the Mets were clo- you know around three twenty five. You never hear of the Red Sox being in that ballpark, right? But, like they set the market with David Price. They had the most assets to trade for Chris Sale or Josh Beckett or Kurt Schilling. Right, they've done this before. And and that's what frustrates me is it feels like they weren't even in the neighborhood for a talent that level. I think just times are changing, John. Sometimes yeah. your neighbors look a bit again, different nowadays. Like, you know, I don't so. want to I don't want to crush them yet because if they bring in Cease and Snell or, or Montgomery and Bieber, 
I will still be happy with their offseason because I have said all along I think they need two starting pitchers at their front of their rotation, and I will be happy with that, and they do need to improve their defense up the middle. You know, it's it's kind of sad. It's unfortunate because you know, Julio or Urias and the situation that he's yeah. in because he would probably be one of the most in-demand guys uh, short of of his personal situation going on. And so, like, do you really think that the that the Red Sox may be looking at guys maybe in the fifteen to seventeen million dollar range? Maybe do you think they maybe do like a, a Marcus Stroman mixed uh, in there? Look, know, these I these don't. are not sexy names, but yeah. look where we are but right now. They're also now. not good at like, and you're you know what's frustrating? I wouldn't say they're, they're probably not good right, to... and that's probably the guy they're going to sign. Like, because the issue is, is if you're Jordan Montgomery, your price went up after Yamamoto signed, most likely, like you said. And also, there's probably more teams in on Montgomery than there were at Yamamoto because even with a higher price, you're still a lot more affordable than a guy like Yamamoto. Like maybe the Cubs weren't and the Blue Jays weren't really in on Yamamoto. They could be in on Montgomery. Now you oh, yeah. have to contend with that, right? So that, that's more. it's not just going to be, oh, the Yankees and Mets missed out, so they're going to pursue Montgomery like you are. Well, yeah, they are, but also you know, maybe the Braves do too, right? Because that's – Looks like there aren't many teams that could beat the Dodgers. Like the Braves maybe could. Maybe the Yankees go and say, hey, we're going to have Montgomery as our second starter behind Garrett Cole. But then maybe the Cubs say, oh, no, we're going to – like so now there's going to be more teams. Like Blake Snell is from Seattle. Maybe the Mariners say, hey, we're going to try to overextend a little for that guy. So it's something that, yeah, you missed on Yamamoto. So not only did these other guys' price go up, there's also going to be more teams you're bidding against. Well, here's my concern about someone like Montgomery or Snell coming here. What if suddenly, the, not so much Snell because he's pitched in this in this ballpark quite a bit, but if Jordan Montgomery comes and the pressure of you're the guy, didn't get Yamamoto, so everything is on you, and balls start flying out of the park as he's adjusting to Fenway, that's a concern, right? It's almost like oh, yeah. you have you have. Like, do you really want to bank on giving a lefty a lot of money and that lefty struggles in Fenway? And let, you, you, the, the park is not going to change. It's not going to move left field out. So that's a concern I would have is bringing in a lefty with a lot of with a lot of stress on them to be that guy, knowing that Chris Sale is still here and he had gone through the same thing before and your fastball ain't fasted. So that would be a concern. Like, at least with a right-handed pitcher, you might be able to get some mistakes that can, you know, get you out to, you know, to the to the triangle out in center, you, you, you know, long fly balls. But with a lefty, if you just get a little lift under it, it I, I would be concerned, especially if there's a lot of money involved. Then that's when people get absolutely rabid. Yeah, and it's it's tough because if you don't get Montgomery or Snell, then you're looking at all right. Let's and I want them to trade for Cease anyway, but it's like. Maybe the price on that goes up too, because now there's a lot of teams calling the White Sox. I love this White whole Sox. thing when you say trade, because like, it's like you're guaranteeing you, that somebody's gonna they're gonna like, do it. Like that's the thing; it, it, it's tough because, like you said, the price goes up after Yamamoto, and then with every subsequent guy that signs or gets traded, like look at Tyler Glass now; he yeah. gets traded to the Dodgers, signs an extension, which by the way, Red Sox. Hello, you can trade for a pitcher with one year left like Corbin Burns and re-sign him to an extension like the Dodgers did. You know, you can do that with. Cease as well. You know, I don't know why that's going to prevent you from trading for a guy. You did it with freaking Kurt Schilling, and you won two World Series with him. You found a way to extend How him. How many years ago? But was it's that? this. It's I, I bring that up because it's the same ownership group, and, and it can be done. But point is, is that with each subsequent guy, 
Now the price on everyone else goes up. So Glass now gets traded. The price for Cease goes up in a trade. The price for Bieber goes up in a trade, right? You know, mm. Yamamoto signs. The price for Montgomery goes up. So that's the thing. It's like, okay, you didn't want to spend three twenty-five on Yamamoto, but if you're going to get one of these guys, you're going to have to pay more than you wanted to. And if you're going to get two like you needed, you're going to have to pay more than you wanted to. KJ and Lions in for Rich Keefe here on WEEI, 617-779-7937. Let's go to Ray and Revere. Ray, thanks for calling us. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, my man. Hey, I fell the same to you. Uh, listen, I'm listening to this Red Sox talk, and I just don't know what the Red Sox are prepared to do and if the caliber of pitching is out there for the prospects they need to give up. And if you go back and look at some of the historical trades, like um, Rose for, for – um, Martinez or or Hanley Ramirez for Beckett or Mankata for sale, okay? The pitching they got back for giving up their best prospects was elite, okay? Um, Bieber isn't elite, uh, neither is Cease, and I, I just don't know if they're ready to give up uh, their top prospects for these guys. And as it relates to what they're willing to spend, you know, John Henry really doesn't like paying for pitches over the age of 30, and, you know, if you look at the guys that are out there, you know, they, they've got some, some, some negatives with them. There's no surefire guy. And, you know, and the Yankees are ahead of them. They're muscling up, as is every other team in the American League East. I feel Ray, like that, the Red Sox need to commit a ton of money or start actually trading real prospects for top-line guys. Ray, thanks for the call. Yeah, he makes a point. Think about just the free agents out there, because I don't like doing the hypotheticals, because if that's the case... <laughs> Okay, I, I will say, say though, like in 2022, Cease finished second in Cy Young voting, and Bieber was in the top ten. Like these guys are legit. Well, yeah, like, but, it, but maybe again, they, and, and, hey, they're not Pedro, they're not Schilling. I I won't disagree with the call there, but they are legit guys, right? But if you're talking 300 innings more on those arms since then, you know, yeah, are we? They're in their mid 20s. Like so, look, these aren't. Just, the, that's why I'm attracted to Cease. And Corbin Burns, like Corbin Burns is an elite pitcher, but these guys are under 30. Like Snell's 31. Uh, Montgomery, I have to double check, but I think he's 30. 30. So, like, that's he's why. He's be 31 soon. And that's the thing. If you're going to get a pitcher in his mid-20s or so, outside of signing a guy like Yamamoto, it kind of has to be through trade, just the way the rules are. The teams have control over these guys for so long. So, of the available free agents, Urias, 27. All right, but he's off the market. See, that's why I say like what he did blew probably blew a chance for this for 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 the Red Sox to be in the mix of something. I I could see him potentially being that guy here, but not now after what's going on with him. And Lucas Giolito under thirty. I, actually, I do like Giolito. He's inconsistent, but I like him. Right. So those are the only guys of note that are literally under thirty. Right. So if it, if it, to the caller Ray saying. You know, Henry doesn't want to give a lot of money to guys who are under 30. So you say, okay, if you look at someone at Jordan Montgomery who pushes you right at 30 and Blake Snell right at 31, you would probably say that Snell is going to be the one that would want the most money because of the accolades and so forth yeah. and performances and the familiarity, right? Because you're like, hey, this guy, can he's he's been in division. We know, we know what he can do. With Jordan Montgomery, while you're like, hey, we love what we've seen he's done, what happens when you put him in? What happens when you put him in Yankee Stadium? What happens when you put him in a in a, in a bouncy ball park like uh, Toronto? You know, against those mashers. So you, you think about it. You would have to put that guy up against that Toronto lineup 
from the yeah. guys just killing from the right side. At least with Montgomery, though, like he won a World Series. Like you know he can pitch in big spots. So like it, it, you have that. Like with Snell, you have he's yeah. won the two Cy Youngs. Montgomery, you have that. But then with these other guys, like the trade candidates, you have the age advantage. So it's kind of like I feel like the Red Sox lean more towards the age thing, and they want to have team control over these guys. But like Cease and Burns, I think have one year of control left, so it's not. And I, I think Bieber has one year, so it's not that much. But it's one affordable year, and you're one year closer to sale being off your books too. Well, going back to what Ray the caller just said was, well, what are the what are the pieces that you're are you willing to give up? Get Mayor at this point, like no, are you I wouldn't trade him. I like when I trade a guy like and not, like you, Nick you, York. You, a guy like that, like Rafaela, maybe now, for like if it's Corbin Burns, but now, I don't look, want to give up Marcelo Meyer. It's not a point. It's not about what you want to hold on to. It's about what you want to get, right. right? But I think a good GM figures out which pieces are the tradable ones or not. Like David Dombrowski, the sale deal is a good example. He chose to trade Moncada and not Benintendi, who were similar prospects. Benintendi was a little bit ahead in his development, but they were right. similarly high prospects, similar positions. Ben Attendi played a huge role in you winning a World Series, whereas Moncada wouldn't have been ready yet. So he chose the right. Like I think part of being well, a good GM, Benintendi was uh, what player of the year in college bas- baseball. Yeah. So, so and Moncada was this you know international phenom from Cuba. Both hyped up guys. You know Benintendi, like I said, a little bit ahead. But Dombrowski made the right choice. He traded the right prospect. Which hey, the White Sox are probably happy with Moncada, but the Red Sox maybe don't win that 2018 World Series without some of Ben Attendee's contributions. So I think that's where Breslow, he has to choose to trade the right guy. Like if Milwaukee says we want Mayer and he thinks Mayer is going to be, you know, the next Nomar Garciaparra, then okay, don't trade him. But if he says, you know what, I actually don't think Mayer is going to be that good and I, I like some of somebody else better, then fine. But I think that's a, a very underrated part of being a great general manager is knowing which of your own prospects you can trade away and live with. But if you can't, if you can't, participate in these sweepstakes as you clearly see with Yamamoto or with Otani technically two pitchers right these are two pitchers you yeah, didn't I, get yep. and now you may be on the precipice of dulling out 60 million a year between two frontline pitchers if you don't want to do that and I don't know if the Red Sox are really at that point that they want to do that you have to probably start at least taking calls to see how rich the pot is to see what you get in return because you would have to ask of all the prospects that the Red Sox have, really, maybe we're looking at two or three of them that yeah. like, call if you're that you really get, like right, if your organization yeah. calling, you know, if you're, that you're going to get phone calls about. So it's not a super stack situation. It's just that the pieces that are there, one, two, or three, and and if they know that your need is frontline starting pitching, and you just lost out on getting Yamamoto, why would I not? As the other team say, well, talk to us about May or what are you thinking? How, how did you like that double A year? What, what what are you really thinking, right? Because if you're Milwaukee, you might say, "Hey, Mayer could be the centerpiece of a superstar of a low paying franchise, right?" Because yep. we've got to get rid of a high price pitcher. Is it worth that to make that call? You, you make that call if you're Milwaukee because you're saying, "Hey, we could bring him up faster than probably you would in your own organization and accept his mistakes if we know we can get people coming through turnstiles." Yeah, no, it's a fair point. KJ and Lines. We wrap up here next year on the Rich Keefe Show, WEEI, 617-779-7937. And your text line message is next here at 37937. Good Friday to you. Happy holidays. 
You can stream the show or listen on demand anytime. Just download the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Say W-E-E-I's a favorite and listen wherever you go. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on W-E-E-I. Yeah. J.J. bringing the soul to W-E-E-I. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. K.J. and Lions here on the Rich Keefe Show. Uh, John, you've gotten your shopping done, right? Oh, yeah. Stiz? No, I will be very busy tomorrow. You know, and I I don't want to say whose gift it's going to be. If I get this late in the game, I can't go get like a physical product. It's really a gift card. And kind of today I learned, like, man, you know, like the sneaky, the sneaky good places to get like the cash gift cards are like your, like your pharmacies, grocery stores, right? Because everybody goes to the box retail and look for them. But like, go to the pharmacy and that's where you'll find them. Oh, yeah. You Walgreens, want to hear a funny CBS. gift card story from today? Please, because I got a bone pick with you before we get out of here, Jeff. All right. So I was looking for a gift for a woman I work with. I work closely with her. She's great. She always gets me a gift. And I'm looking, I'm, I couldn't really find anything, so I said, you know what, at the very least, she loves coffee. I'm like, I'm just going to get her a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. At Uh-oh. least she has something, which I've gotten her before, and she likes it. She's happy with it, has Dunkin' Donuts often. So I go to the Dunkin' Donuts on my way to work this morning. It's like 6.25 or so in the morning. Got the Greg Hill show on, of course. I walk in, you know, order, and they say, hey, can I can I get a gift card? And they said, well, just so you know, we don't have any Christmas gift cards left. I said, really? So what do you got? They go, we have Mother's Day and Father's Day gift cards. That's all that's left. <laughs> so I said, okay. I said, fine. Uh, I'll take one. Not specifying, you know, which kind. So this woman I work with, wonderful woman, who got me a nice gift, who I really did put thought into getting a gift and just couldn't find the right thing, got a Father's Day edition Dunkin' Donuts gift card today at work. Happy birthday. Yes. <laughs> you, like... Oh, I really did digi- put thought into it. She's a terrific coworker. Digital, digital. You like, could have done it digital. Like, oh, I was like, okay. But <sighs> if you missed any of the show, it's under the Rich Keefe tab. Uh, W-E-E-I at the Odyssey app, 93.7. And, of course, tell your Alexa device as well. Uh, we will be here tomorrow, 1 to 4, for Festivus. Yes, it's ugly for the rest of us. Um, but during the so there was a mix up last week, and Stiz even knows this. Ken Laird had reached out to say, Hey, look, are you available to work on the 15th? I said, Sure. Didn't get back to me, and I was under the impression that we, John and I, would be on next week. You remember, John? I sent you the text, and I was getting yep. all the stuff to you, like, Hey, am I mistaking, mistaking something? I was just like, Oh, wow. Ken never got back to me to tell me that he didn't need me. So there was a lot of these things prepared. And during the course of last week, John. This truth is mentioned something about like KJ, you should do a Taylor Swift parody. And at first I said, I hate John already. <laughs> then I said, you know what? Because John is a nice guy. Think about what he did for this woman at his job with the Duncan card. A lot of thought. Happy Father's Day. Here is a parody that will die that John has not heard. Hit it, Stiz. She's suffering and feels so right. Looking scrub like Swifters and making fun of their missteps. Ah-ha, ah-ha. Monday would have been a perfect night to have Joe Jonas on site. Kissing on camera with Camille Bell. 
Oh, oh hell. Absolute oh, hell. trash. Yeah. <laughs> Travis Kelsey double covered and open at the same time. Receivers miserable. All right, you can kill it. Oh, yeah. See, that's wow. where parody goes to die. So, so I'm missing where I did something wrong here. You mentioned a Taylor Swift parody. And there I was. I said, you know what? John is a likable guy. It's the holiday season. I will surprise him. And this is before I knew that we weren't working last Friday. So I had done a Taylor Swift parody to 22 called When You've Just Lost Two. It says, just keep Jackson dancing until you, because they'll be, they'll be horrible on the road. So you could say that we used to have mad love and now we have bad blood. Oh, my God. Hey-o! You could say that. How do I 1989 you right now? Like, what do I... I don't know. That was before I was born. Well, there you go. That's my point. <laughs> John, have a wonderful night. We'll be back again tomorrow. Stiz, thank you so much. Again, at the real John Lyons, no H in John at Twitter, at KJ Carson at Twitter as well. Stiz, what is yours? Stiz Grimy? Yeah, at Stiz Grimy on everything. At Stiz Grimy at everything. <laughs> All right, so have a wonderful night. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on WEEI, 1 p.m. See ya!